time in worship. Let's give it up for our worship team just leading us again this morning. We're in part two of a series called All the Ends. And uh, before I dive in, I got one major important announcement. So everybody listen up. One major announcement. Next coming Sunday, March 12th, we'll only have one service. So not, no 9.30 a.m. service next Sunday, just an 11 a.m. combined service because we'll be kicking off our yearly initiative called Serve San Antonio, and it's going to be amazing. We have some opportunities afterwards where we're calling our entire church to stay and serve our neighbors and the people around us. And so you don't want to miss it, but don't show up at 9.30. If you do, you can hang out for another hour and a half. 11 a.m. combined service only. Hope to see you there next Sunday. So we're in part two of the series called All the Ends. And in this series, we're looking at three things. God's heart for the church, for this city, and for those all across the world. And last week, if you weren't here, we talked about how God has called us to serve the people all across the world. And today, I want to specifically look, look at each and every one of us and how God calls us and Jesus calls us to be his followers and how we live that out. I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we love coffee. We got into coffee uh, um, earlier this year. There's like levels to loving coffee. Uh, there's like coffee connoisseurs, there's coffee nerds. Those are some of our staff members or coffee nerds. If you mention the word coffee, they'll just talk forever. You should try it out with them. But coffee is something that we love. I, there was a time in my life where I never drank coffee. I thought it was gross. I thought it tasted bitter. I thought it was something that only old people drank because their taste buds had fallen off and they like coffee. But now, fast forward to now, we drink like two to three cups a day. And it has progressed, right? Like one cup for every kid. We have three kids, so three cups of coffee every day for us. Um, we drink the same thing every day. We bought a coffee machine, double shot. We drink a latte every day, same thing over and over. So now on the rare occasion that we go to like a Starbucks, the options are overwhelming. The combinations of drinks, and they push out drinks all the time. I don't know if you know this, but Starbucks claims to have over 170,000 combinations of drinks. Over 170,000 combinations. There's choices all around us. And the choices sometimes are overwhelming. But you and I, we like having choices. We like having options in life. Uh, the other day, we took our family to Cheesecake Factory. And if you want to know what being overwhelmed by choices is like, just look at the Cheesecake Factory menu. It's six pages long. And if you think that's short, the font is really tiny. And it's just stuff. I told my wife that I was having a headache just looking at the menu. And then after we ate our dinner, they bring out the cheesecake menu. And this is where the chaos really starts. They've got every flavor of cheesecake. They got the classic New York style, my favorite. They got vanilla bean. They got Reese's peanut butter cups. They got Oreo. They got Godiva. They got Giardelli. They got apple crisp. On and on, I could share the whole menu with you, but it would take up the rest of my time this morning. There's 38 different cheesecakes that you can have at Cheesecake Factory. The choices are overwhelming at times. And sometimes it, it's, a little, it's a little hard to wrap our minds around. Like if you want to see someone really confused, just look at me when I go to HEB and I'm trying to pick out a new toothbrush. There's so many options. Like I just need a toothbrush to brush my teeth. Choices are everywhere, but we love choices here in the Western world. It's an ideal of our world that we get to pick and choose what we like. You and I get to pick and choose the products that appeal to our personal desires. It's the world that we live in and we like it. And here's the thing, we also do this when it comes to our faith. We do this when it comes to churches as well. Like there's so many options for churches. So why choose the one that's right down the street or the local one when you can go to the one 
It's got all the seats so you can slip right in and slip right out. Why go to the one where the students, they listen to worship on YouTube? Go to the one that has a big worship team, right? That's what we love. Why pick the church that's got all different types of ethnicities and cultures when you can go to that mono-ethnic one where everyone looks like you and dresses like you and talks like you? We even embrace this ideal and value of having choices and being consumers when it comes to our faith and when it comes to the churches that we're in. And the choices that we have, the options that we have have created generations and generations of consumers here in America. We like options. We like consuming. We like picking and choosing. And without realizing it at times, we also pick and choose parts of our faith. So why follow the entire Bible or everything that Jesus teaches when I can just pick and choose the stuff that I like? After all, this is what I do with my life, right? I pick and choose the things that I like. And Mark Sayers, he's a, a pastor out of Melbourne, Australia, and he calls this the implicit prosperity gospel. We all know what the explicit prosperity gospel is. None of us would be guilty of that or we wouldn't want to be associated with that. But he calls this the implicit prosperity gospel. Here's what he says. We understand that God would ask people, like in Guatemala we talked about last week, where people in the two-thirds world to give up and to sacrifice. But the heresy of the Western world and the Western church is that God would not ask us to do the same because we have options. And in return, he says, we've created an alternative gospel in which we want the comfort of our faith with the autonomy of choices that we find in our Western culture. And he calls this the implicit prosperity gospel. And he says, this has caused us to have one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the kingdom of the world. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but Jesus does not work that way. We can't pick and choose when it comes to our faith. The, the issue, though, is not the options that we have, right? Like, I like options. Don't get me wrong. I like being able to choose a school that my son with special needs can go to because I want to go to the school that will best meet his needs. Options are good. So the problem really isn't options. The problem is at times we haven't fully understood what it means to be followers of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to look at Luke chapter 9. And um, what happens in the book of Luke up until this point is that Jesus is hanging out with a group of misfits and teenagers and one angry adult named Peter. And he's hanging out with this group of people. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus begins to shift some things in his ministry and how he begins to speak to them. He begins to open up to them about what his real expectations are for his followers. And so here's how this part of the story begins. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 is where we'll begin. And he says this, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long has come back to life. And Jesus says, well, what about you? And he's talking to his followers. He asks, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. So the first thing that Jesus asks is, who do the crowds say that I am? See, the crowds had witnessed him right before this story, right before this discussion and this conversation. Jesus and his disciples had just finished feeding 5,000 men. So scholars believe over 10 to 15,000 people. So they had witnessed him and they had seen Jesus teach and then miraculously turn five loaves of bread and two fish into feeding 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. 
They had gathered to hear him teach. And so Jesus asked his followers, who does the crowd say that I am? And they respond and say, John the Baptist or Elijah and a prophet. And here's the thing. This is good company to be in. If the crowd is saying that you're like John the Baptist or like Elijah or the prophets of the old, these are great people to be compared to. These are some of the heavy hitters in the Bible. And so the crowd is saying Jesus is like some of these people. The crowd regarded Jesus with respect, but they really failed to see who he was. They regarded him to be wise, to be a sage, to be someone they can learn from. The crowd respected Jesus, but they failed to recognize Jesus. And so then Jesus asks his followers, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, and Peter says, God's Messiah. That word there is Christos, and it means Messiah, meaning Christ or the anointed one, the Savior. Peter recognized Jesus for who he really was. God himself in the flesh, not just another prophet, but of who the prophets had been speaking about for centuries. Peter had this recognition of who Jesus was. And here's the thing that I want to say. I think we've got far too many Christians and people in the capital C church who respect Jesus but have not recognized Jesus to be who he really says he is. If we recognize Jesus was the Christ, then it would forever alter the way that we live our lives. But if you simply respect Jesus, you'll listen to him, you'll read about him, you'll add him to your list of gurus and sages and podcasters and authors. If you simply respect Jesus... He can be a good consultant, right? Jesus, I'm going through some things right now. I can really use some advice and your consultation. If you just respect Jesus, you might even show up to church to hear about him. If you just respect Jesus, you might even hear a message and it might cause you to change some behaviors in your life. If you simply respect Jesus, you believe that Jesus can offer you some things to help you along in life. But if you recognize who Jesus is, the Christ, you're not interested in what he can offer you. You're willing to offer up your entire selves for him. Because Jesus is God. And so Jesus is shifting his disciples' understanding and awareness of who he is. From this group of misfits and witnesses to real, true disciples of him. He's beginning to outline what it really takes to follow him. And so here's what he says. He says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the angels. Some pretty harsh language here from Jesus, but he's simply telling his disciples in Luke chapter 9, he's beginning to shift their understanding and he says, this is what it takes. Whoever wants to come after me, some translations say, whoever wants to follow me, there's three steps. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then follow me. Three steps. It's very easy, three steps. So I want to go through each of these very quickly and kind of show us what it really means to follow Jesus. The first thing he says is deny yourself or self-denial. 
Self-denial challenges the kingdoms that you and I have built for ourselves with our choices and comforts and options. And Jesus is just one among many of those choices. So here's how you ask yourself if you're really living out this ideal, this call from Jesus to deny yourself. Do you believe, do you believe what Jesus can offer you is better than what you can offer yourself? And this is where we begin to see if we can actually deny ourselves. Do you believe what Jesus is offering you is better than what you can offer yourself? All the seasoned Christians will say yes. Yeah, that's an easy answer. Of course. But I want you to invite God into that. Say, God, show me where I implicitly believe that. I had a come to Jesus moment like some of us would say, this past week in Guatemala. So we're in Guatemala, and one of the things that we had, um, uh, one of the t uh, times that we had, we got to sit alongside some of the pastors, uh, one of the pastors in, the, in that region. And so we're sitting across from this pastor and asking him some questions and hearing his story. And the whole time, I'm kind of like tuning him out and just looking at him, and it hit me that he's in the same profession as I am, the same calling. And here he is, a pastor for 16 years in a community of about 1,500 people. He's got no social media, no LED wall, no live streams, no multiple services, no staff, no budget meetings, no church trends or consultants or metrics. He's simply pastoring people in a small community faithfully serving them for 16 years. It's what many in America, many of my peers in America would call obscurity. No one knows you, no one sees you. It's just you and God and the people. And God challenged me when I was there. And here's the question that I felt like God was asking me. He said, would you swap places with this pastor? And that question rattled my mind. I had such a hard time responding to that question. For like a whole day, I was telling our team that night, like that whole day this question was eating me up. Because here's the thing, we all have excuses, right? And God knows us better than we know ourselves. Like I have some pretty good excuses and reasons why I can't move to Guatemala. And I could have pulled some of the good ones out. Like I could have said, God, do you know that my son had a $100,000 heart surgery, and the only reason we're able to pay for it is because of my wife's job here in America and her insurance. And the doctors say, we, we're believing against this, but the doctors say for the sake of arguing with God that they might need to go back in there again. And so there's no way that this happens in Guatemala. You understand that, right, God? That's a, that's a pretty big legitimate reason. Or like, I got three kids, I have a newborn, you want me to move my whole family down here? Like, there's good excuses that I can have that I can bring up to God. But the problem that, the thing that bothered me was it wasn't any of the legitimate excuses that came out of me. The thing that rattled me was that I had a hard time swapping places with him because I had a hard time letting go of my choices and options. It was some of the yucky stuff that comes to us pastors here in America. You mean no one will notice me? Like no one will see me except people. There's no 800-seat auditorium with multiple services. 
And I'm being brutally honest with you. These are the temptations of the world that we live in. And it's not just you, it's me. And God asked me this question, and it took me a day to just process this. And I finally came around, and I said, yes, if that's what you call me to, Yes, whatever it takes. It's why I signed up for ministry in the first place. And God was challenging me to see how far I'd come. So I said, yes. And that question is still there. Do you believe what Jesus can offer you is better than what you can offer yourself? Do you believe what Jesus can offer you is better than the kingdom that you've built with your choices and options and lists of things to consume. Some of us have failed to deny ourselves at times because we're so used to being able to fulfill ourselves with our choices and our options. Some of us can fulfill ourselves with that bottle. Some of us can fulfill ourselves with the wrong relationship. Some of us can fulfill ourselves by choosing an endless, uh, endless list of options to consume on a daily basis. And the question that we have to ask ourselves when Jesus says, whoever wants to come after me must deny themselves. Do you believe what Jesus can offer you is better than anything you or this world can offer yourself? It's the first step in being a follower of Jesus. Trust him over yourself. Deny yourself. It's the very definition of salvation. Here's what Paul writes. Salvation is like, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And he says this, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Another translation, you had nothing to do with it. So salvation in itself is not self-produced. It is a result of self-denial. Thank God, I can't do any of this. I deny myself and I trust in you and you alone. Deny yourself, deny your kingdom, deny your picking and choosing. What is God really calling you to? That's the first thing, deny yourself. And then he says, it doesn't get any easier by the way. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus here is using language that his audience would have been familiar with with the cross. His crucifixion was popular at that time. In the Roman Empire, which Jesus finds himself in, they had perfected the art of crucifixion until Constantine, he bans it in the fourth century. And so when crucifixion happens, not only was a person crucified, they had to bear their cross towards their crucifixion site. They had to carry this cross. And you see this in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. He would do the same on the road to Golgotha, on the road to his own crucifixions. And the Romans, they perfected it, but they also used it as a way to control the people. The Romans used the cross as a way to bring about social conformity, to control the people. And so when you carried a cross, it would be public humiliation. People would look at you and they would see you. You were a public figure. You'd be marked as an outsider. You'd be marked as a resistor of the culture and of the state. And in return, you were rejected by the culture that you find yourself in. And it's what happens to Jesus himself. He carries the cross through a crowd of people that thought that he was coming to take down the Roman Empire. He was an outsider, a rejecter of the culture. And so when Jesus says, Take up your cross, not once, not twice, not thrice, it's not a word. Take up your cross daily. Daily take up your cross. To follow Jesus means to be in opposition with the world that we find ourselves in. 
Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple and you deny yourself, taking up your cross means resisting the options of the world and in return being rejected by the world. That's what it means to take up your cross daily and deny yourselves. And I think far too often we've gotten too comfortable in a culture that we are actually supposed to resist. Jesus is saying when he says deny yourselves and take up your cross, you can't do both. If you're going to follow me, you have to follow me and me alone. To follow Jesus means that you have given up every other thing. not an easy message. If Jesus was a pastor in 2023, his church would be tiny. No one's buying his books. No one's following him on social media. But this is his message to his disciples as he's shifting their focus. He says, if you really want to come after me, this is what you're supposed to do. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to have one foot here and one foot here. This is what it means to follow me. And he continues this theme and he says this, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit and lose their very self? He continues on in this theme of self-denial. He says, if you want the things of this world, even if you gain the entire world itself, but you lose the very thing that outlasts the world, your soul, what good is it? What good is it to gain it all, to have it all? If you've given up your soul to something else. And Jesus knows that the comforts of this life and the threat of losing the comforts of this life will keep many of us from ever truly following him. And he's saying if you want life and fullness of life, then stop pursuing the world and pursue me. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's just something to ponder. Maybe it's really asking yourself, go past the surface level answers. Why would I say no to God? Begin there. What would it take for me to say no to God? The point of this is not for me to move to Guatemala. Jesus was trying to expose something in my heart. And today we celebrate Baptism Sunday. And we're going to celebrate folks who have decided to do this in their lives, to take up their cross, to deny themselves. It's what the baptismal represents. Death to ourselves, the taking up of the cross. That's why Paul writes this in the book of Romans. He says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the death through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's the beauty of baptism. Baptism is many things. It's a public declaration of our faith in Jesus. It's an outward expression of an inward change. But baptism at its core is us choosing to die to ourselves, knowing that through Jesus we are resurrected into new people, into new creations, into new life, into new beginnings. We might think that a message like this is really difficult to listen to. Jesus is not wanting us to sit here and mope and be depressed and sad. He's actually offering us, he says, when you lose 
yourself. And when you die to yourself, you'll actually begin to gain life. It's good news, but it requires sacrifice and it requires a death to ourselves, to our options, to our choices, and to our kingdoms that we've built up on our own. And when we can step into this new life that Jesus has for us, it's the most beautiful thing that we can do. So I'm going to stop talking, and I want you guys to hear some of the stories of some of the folks that are getting baptized today. I, this, I hope, is an encouragement to you to see that there are people daily choosing, just like each and every one of us, to daily choosing to die to ourselves and to put their faith in God. Here's the first, there's a video that I want to show you that I want to continue to read some of these stories. And here's Noelle, and she's going to share her story of why she's getting baptized today. Hi, my name is Noel Solano, and I am here today to tell you about why I have decided to be baptized. As a kid, I had always been told that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, but I didn't really know what that actually meant. One of our church leaders talked to me about accepting Christ into our hearts. He said that it meant we accepted that Jesus Christ died for us and that he was our savior. A few months later, I did just that, and I could see the changes he had made in my life almost immediately. I started getting excited about going to church, and I liked that. When we moved out here to San Antonio a couple years ago, he gave me the courage to sign up to serve in the hospitality ministry. And if I didn't, I wouldn't know all the amazing people I know now. I want to thank my mom and dad for telling me about baptism really was and giving me the courage to sign up. And I want to thank my sister for giving me the courage to even ask my parents. I am here today to publicly declare my faith to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. So immediately after service today, we're going to have baptisms out in the lobby. She'll be one of the folks that are getting baptized. But I want to read to you some of the other stories of those who are getting baptized this morning. There's a woman, she's getting baptized today, who's coming out of growing up in the Catholic Church, and she started studying Scripture, and then she began to turn to God again. About three years ago, she came to our, our, our church, and she said that it changed her life. She says, I love Outer West, and I'm grateful to have found such a great church that inspires me to follow God and to read the Bible more. There's a student. He's carefully considered his next step in following Jesus and believes that baptism is the right one. He has discussed it with his parents, and that they both support his decision to publicly declare that he is a follower of Jesus. Well, that's a big one to celebrate, students declaring their faith in Jesus. It's another person, they grew up in the church, but fell away for a long time. Feels like this is the right time to recommit. And here's a quote that he wrote, he or she wrote, I've done it without him, I've done it with him, and I would much rather do it with him. So one of our kids from Outer West Kids wants to be baptized because he wants everyone to know that he wants to follow Jesus. There's a senior in high school. He came to students on his own about a month ago. He started following Jesus, and he wants to be baptized today. There's an adult that grew up in the church. He stopped going to church at 17 years of age, left the church swore they would never go back to church, and they're here this morning choosing to be baptized. Another young adult says, I grew up Catholic, but I never felt connected. In fact, I didn't care for the church at all. 
says, as he grew up, he graduated high school and began his college years. He felt like he had everything that he ever wanted and needed. At the same time, he could not help but notice an empty feeling. After some time, he came to the realization that God was what was missing. He knows he needs God in his life, and he is taking this step to be baptized because he is ready to tell everyone that he is following Jesus. As a young boy that wants to be baptized today, he has been the driving force behind his, getting his family back to church. After months of asking, his parents looked online, found Outer West, they decided to give it a try, they haven't looked back. Although he is nine, he says he understands the meaning of baptism and he wants to set an example for his brothers and sisters who are older than him. He wants everyone to know that he wants to follow Jesus. There's another person going through a difficult time in life right now, relationally, having panic attacks. Two months ago, they fell to their knees in prayer to God and said, God, and fell to uh, her knees in prayer and heard God say, I've always been with you. Found Outer West online, started attending a few months ago. It's been amazing. I read the Bible daily and I pray. Despite the very difficult circumstances in my life, I'm filled with excitement and forgiveness and healing, and today I'm going to be baptized. This is special. This is beautiful. This is something worth celebrating. This is not produced by good churches or good programs or by good speakers. This is work that is produced by the Spirit of God at work in the lives of His people. And I think of Jesus asking His disciples, Who do you say that I am? And these are some of the folks that are publicly saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And these stories that we hear are evidence that he is the Christ, the one that has come to save, the one that has come to bring us out of the stuff that we're going through in life. In a world that offers its options, Jesus calls us to look to him and to look to him alone. And he's asking the same questions to some of you this morning. Who do you say that I am? That answer will determine how you live your life from this moment for the rest of your life. And there's some next steps for some of us. Maybe for some of you, it's to get baptized and it's not too late. If you want to get baptized, just come see us. We'll make it happen. Maybe for some of us, it's to really consider, am I really a follower of Jesus? Like, if this is the criteria to follow Jesus, am I really a follower of Jesus? Or is he just one among many? Maybe for some of you, it's okay to just say, I got one foot in and one foot out. It's a good place to start. And it may be okay for a season. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to explore. You know that this is a safe church, a safe place for you to do that. But if you're intentionally living your life with one foot in and one foot out, if this is just a weekend pit stop and not a full-time calling, can you ask yourself, who do you say that Jesus is? I don't know what the next step for you is this morning. Just felt like this was a message that God wanted me to share this morning. But would you invite Jesus into your life and to ask, do I really believe that Jesus can offer me something better than I can offer myself? Let me pray for us. We'll sing a song that I'll come back up. I got part two of a teaching, so stay tuned for that. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you 
and you've laid out clearly what it takes to follow you. Sometimes this type of message is hard for any one of us, including the person that's standing on the stage giving the message. God, would you expose some of the things in our hearts, God? To help us to answer this question honestly, who do you say that I am? God, we don't want to be consumers. We don't want to pick and choose. We don't want to have you among the list of another, a bunch of other people that we have on our list and options that we have on our list. God, help us to see what it means to truly follow you and to follow you alone. Help us to see what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. Help us to see that the road to follow you is narrow. To help us to declare that you are worthy of denying ourselves. You are worthy of us taking up the cross because you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior who has come to redeem his people back to himself. So as we sing this song, would you just reflect on that? Would you allow the Holy Spirit, would you allow Jesus to meet you right here and right now? You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things, you deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you have a seat. Come on, can we celebrate God this morning, say he is worthy. Can we give him a clap of praise? Thank you, Jesus. I want to take a moment and just shift a little bit and just kind of have a conversation with you as a church. By the way, if you're new, this is a little different, but you can, you're invited into this conversation as well. So these are some amazing stories that we heard and for this service, we're going to go out in the 
be and see people be baptized. We're going to celebrate. There's going to be donuts out there, more donuts if you've already had some. We're also going to have an opportunity for you to join one of our serve teams. And here's why this is important. The stories that we've heard. I've been in ministry for a while. Dan's been in ministry for a while. We talked about these stories this week. This is amazing what God is doing in our church, some of the stories that we're hearing. It's not always normal and common to see people come out of stuff, to reject church and to come back to church, to reject God and to come back to God. It's not normal to see kids and students in the world they have, in a world of choices and options that they have, they come and say, I choose Jesus. It's not normal. And so it's the Spirit of God working in our midst, but practically, a lot of what we do in our church happens because of each and every one of you. Because of the people that serve, our volunteers, our leaders. And so here's a stat that you might not know. Most churches in America in the past year have grown 20 to 22 percent. That's amazing. Our church in the past year has grown 50 to 55 percent. It's also amazing. And it's, and it's just God working. There's nothing we've done right or wrong. It's just God moving in our church and it's a safe place. And if you're part of that growth and God has brought you here, we're grateful that you're here. But our heart also is this, that we don't want our church to be a place where you just come and consume and take and you leave. So here's, we got healthy metrics all over the place. And metrics, they're not always helpful, but sometimes they're helpful if they're very unhealthy. And so here's one of the metrics. Only 20% of our church is currently serving. And so a healthy metric for churches on average is closer to 50%. And so here's what I'm simply asking. The people that God's meeting here, the people that are coming to our church, new people every week, week in and week out, there are people that are serving them week in and week out. And sometimes there's excuses. Like I got three excuses, Ezra, Madeline, and Penelope. Three excuses right there. We all have legitimate excuses, right? There's things to do, there's schedules, there's people to visit, there's traveling things. You're not sure if you're going to be helpful or hurtful. You're not sure where to serve. There's lots of good excuses. And here's what I want to say. There are people every single weekend with the same excuses that are serving you. And so I just talked about in Luke chapter 9, Jesus talking to his disciples. Right before that, he feeds 5,000 men. And that's really 10,000 to 15,000 people. And so what happens is they're hearing Jesus He's getting popular. They've all come and gathered to hear him speak and teach all day. And now they're hungry because they're sitting out in the sun all day. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, these people have been here all day. They're hungry. I think we need to send them home. And Jesus' response is so profound. You know what he says? You go and feed them. He says, you go take care of their needs. The people didn't need spiritual, their need was not spiritual. They were probably spiritually full. They were sitting there all day hearing Jesus speak. They just needed some food, and so the disciples, they go and find five loaves, of fish, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. They bring to Jesus what they could bring to Jesus, and then Jesus uses that to feed ten to 15,000 people. And it's very practical. They split them up into groups of 50, and then they just go around and pass bread and fish around. Sometimes God wants to use us in the ordinary. And we get caught up in the beautiful and the amazing parts of following Jesus. Sometimes it's just holding a door open or giving someone coffee. Because right before Jesus tells them to feed the 5,000, he begins Luke chapter 9 and he says this, All authority has been given to you, so go cast out demons. Go proclaim the gospel. 
miracles, all the exciting stuff. Right after that, he says, go give them bread and fish. And this is the balance of our faith, the beautiful and the ordinary. And so I'll stop there, but when you go out there in the lobby, would you consider stopping by one of our serve teams? Because there are people every day that are coming to meet Jesus because one of you was in the parking lot greeting them. Or some of you decided even though you hate kids, you're going to serve with kids. <laughs> Whatever it is, would you just consider asking God what that next step looks like for you? And I want us to shift to taking communion because when we gather at the table, and the elements are in front of you in your seats. If you're watching online, you can gather. When we gather at the table, we're reminded of a God who came not to be served, but a God who came to serve his people. The cross is the very picture of service to you and I. It's where Jesus gives himself up for us. And it's where we sit and remember his sacrifice. It's where we sit and we tell him, God, today I choose to deny myself and to take up my cross. Today I choose to follow you and your example. On the cross, the body of Jesus was broken for us. Would you take that piece of wafer and break it and eat it? And the cup represents the new covenant between God and his people. No longer defined by their performance or their past, but by defined by what Jesus has done on the cross you take and drink together. I want to invite you to stand. You happy you came to church today? We're going to end with a song. It's a song that got us jumping and dancing earlier, so let's do a little bit of that. We're going to go out and celebrate. Serve options out there, baptisms out there, donuts out there. But let's give God all the glory and honor before we do that. Thank you. Lord, you're good. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever.